Today's uh, scripture reading is taken from Romans 14. The weak and the strong. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling or disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to stand someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. If I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. May the Lord add his love to this. Morning. Guys, we're 20 weeks into Romans. You ever looked at a letter for 20 weeks? Good job. Good job, everyone. Two weeks to go, and then we're Advent. It's almost, it's almost Advent. It's almost Christmas. It's really happening, guys. We were really doing it. Good job. Uh, part of the reason we do uh, 
from time to time go through a book the way we've gone through Romans and spend 22 weeks in it is so that uh, we uh, can't skirt around passages like this one um, or last week's about, you know, the government. Um, you know, probably if we're choosing a six-week series and we're hand-selecting the passages, we're not going to grab this one. But when we're going through Romans, uh, we, ha- we confront it, and you would know if we just like skirted around, ah, chapter 14 is a little dicey, we're going to avoid that one. Um, so so we're, we're, we're confronted with it. And I've shared this many times before. Sometimes, um, you know, the, the passages that are initially uh, really difficult and kind of feel like cold water in your face uh, actually sometimes have some of the most surprising, beautiful, uh, you know, revelations about who God is and the way life works and, and what it means to flourish as a human being that you wouldn't expect if you just ignored it on the, on the surface level. So hopefully that's where we're, we're headed with this one. Um, when I was in uh, fifth grade, uh, my parents decided we were going to change churches. And uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, had, they lived uh, two, two or three towns over from where uh, I lived. And they had been telling my parents, uh, whenever they saw them, about how good the pastor was at their, at their church. And we didn't really, in South Carolina at this time, we didn't really have the mega church thing. So it wasn't a thing where you, like, you went to a church because the pastor was, was like a you know, celebrity or, 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 or the music was a certain way. Um, that, that really hadn't happened in our area yet. Um, so it was kind of weird. Um, the church was at least half an hour away from our house. It was like 45 minutes if there was any traffic. And this is, this is Greenville, South Carolina. This is the Bible Belt South. So we're passing like 12,285 churches on our way to our church. So this is an you know, important decision that we had made. Um, and looking back, I, I am, I'm grateful that we made the change. Um, I met some of my greatest lifelong friends at this, this church that we ended up at. Um, the, the, the preacher actually was a phenomenal, loving, tender-hearted uh, Bible teacher. I learned so much about the scriptures. I learned so much about uh, the, the kingdom of God, the way of following Jesus that I didn't even know was in there, tucked in. And I like, kind of walked away from my faith for a long time after, after high school. And I came back and all this stuff was in there that I didn't even know that had been sort of tucked away during all that time. So, um, you know, have, have some grace if your kids wander off for a while. Um, but some of the trappings of the rural Southern Baptist Church, I certainly could have done without. I remember one of the first times we were there, the preacher saying the following, um, and it was, I think this was in defense for giving 45-minute sermons, uh, so maybe I should come up with my own little pithy justification, but uh, he said this, this is real. He said, I don't preach sermonettes for Christianettes who drive Corvettes and smoke cigarettes, I'll say that again because it's magical. Um, I don't preach sermonettes for Christianettes who drive Corvettes and smoke cigarettes. And I remember just cracking up laughing like, what are you talking about? That's amazing. But also wondering a little bit about my own dad who was a, 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 a used car sales manager and quite often would bring home like a sample car and he would have Corvettes sometime and he smoked a pack and a half of Marlboro Lights every day. I'm like, this guy is offending him, and yet he, 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 still, he still sat there. It was interesting. It was like one of the only times my dad would sit and nod when someone said something offensive to him. Um, it's like, yeah, going, it's, uh, what's the comedian who talks about? You, the doctor is the one place where you can just go and get insulted, and then walk out. It's like, you lose some weight. It's like, yeah, probably right, doc. Um, sermon's the same thing. So quirky things like that, rural, southern, uh, 
so many things I'm grateful for, so many things I, I think I could have done without. But I think it was quite an improvement over our previous church. I don't remember any of the sermons from, from the church before. Um, but then one Sunday, our, pra- our pastor preached a sermon. They used to print the title of the sermon in the bulletin. And the title of this sermon was, Alcohol is Satan in Liquid Form. I'll say that one more time because it's also magic. Alcohol is Satan in liquid form. This I knew my dad was going to have an issue with. Um, But it also seemed like a stretch because I I didn't know that much about the Bible, but I did know Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. And not just like one glass of, you know, like reserve. He turned six huge stone basins that were used for ritual cleansing into fantastic wine that kept the party going and going. So it seemed like a bit of a stretch. And this incredible Bible teacher that I would respect for, I still do, for many, many years, he started doing the thing that we had come to expect he wouldn't do. He was, he was saying what he wanted to say, and he was making the text fit what he wanted to say. And it was disappointing. And uh, quite frankly, like, it didn't take a lot uh, back, back in, the, in the day, and there were, like, yeah, like I said, 12,000 other church, uh, church options, and this almost led to a, a split in our church. I remember being a 12-year-old kid and they had a Sunday night business meeting to, uh, to respond to the pastor's message that alcohol is Satan in liquid form. And I remember sitting there and, and, and people were weeping and people were standing up and defending, uh, defending their, their belief on, on either side. And some people were just like, we just have to fall in line. This is our pastor. We have to do what, do what he says. This, you guys are down with that, right? Um, or people were just like, I, I have a glass of wine with my meal and I always will. Um, <laughs> breakfast, all of it. Um, and, and I knew, I had heard the jokes. You like, <laughs> these are, I'm just giving you a little window. Um, you know why you should always bring two Baptists fishing? Because if you just bring one, he'll drink all your beer. These are good jokes. No, stick with me, stick with me. <laughs> stick with me. I'm going to give you one more just because you look great. Um, what's the one place Baptists don't recognize each other? The liquor store. Uh, come on, these are good. This is good material. I know this is New York in 2018. That might, this, this might seem like the most ridiculous thing ever. But as a young kid, this sort of like imprinted on me that these people were, they were about to, to, to not attend the same church anymore over, over this issue. And it was, really, it was really heated. And I remember the tears being shed at this business meeting. And I remember thinking, what, what have we gotten ourselves into? We're driving so far to come here already. The preacher had a strong conviction, but he was stretching the message of the gospel. and He was stretching the message of the scriptures to try and make it everyone's conviction. And that's what this passage in Romans is dealing with. It's dealing with our tendency to take our convictions, even if they're, they're important to us and they, they might lead to healthy choices for us. They might be really meaningful to us, but to try to stretch non-essential convictions and make them true for everyone. And something that I saw as a kid that I couldn't really name, but this passage gives some language for is how easily conviction can become contempt. And I don't know if you've been doing any paying attention to sort of the political conversation in our country these days, but it's pretty easy for conviction to become contempt. And quite sadly, the church, uh, instead of modeling, you know, the, the, the verse 17, the kingdom of God, 
It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Sadly, the church in many points has been uh, a poor model of, of um, our convictions becoming contempt and that being the first thing. Like the, the first thing people know about followers of Jesus being what they're against. Something's gone a little bit wrong with us if the first thing people recognize or know about us is what, what we're against. But have you noticed that, that, that convictions in you or in other people can, can often morph into contempt? We, we, we feel strongly about something, we feel, we feel convicted about it, but, but then we begin to have this sort of also this feeling of superiority that goes along with our, our realization about something, and then we can kind of come to sort of initially gently and then even more so despise someone for feeling differently than we do. And I, we, we, need to, we need to say, like a, a, an important caveat here is, of course, there are certain things the scriptures are really clear about and repeated over and over again, things we should have convictions about. But we still need to be really careful, even when we have a right and true conviction, if it gives us feelings of pride, if we start to imagine ourselves in a superior position, if we, if we have a desire to isolate ourselves from people who don't think the same way that we do. Because there are many issues, Romans 14, Romans 14 brings up a bunch of them. There's many issues that we can, we can feel rightfully different about. They're non-essential issues in the kingdom of God. We can feel rightfully different about them. But what is meant to govern our relationships, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this. What is meant to govern our relationships is not pride, it's not fear, it's certainly not contempt. What's meant to govern our relationships is love. And, and in a sense, we've been talking about love in, in this letter uh, for the, for, 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 on one level for the entire le- uh, letter, but specifically love and action, love in the practical nitty-gritty details of our life. In the beginnings of, of, of Romans, like our, our minds and hearts are called up to this pinnacle to see the plan of God from Genesis to Revelation, the whole of redemptive history, all, what God's been doing through Jesus, c- coming as the Messiah of Israel, but also spilling the banks of Israel and, and reaching out to every type of person in the whole world. Our, our minds have been lifted, and then when we get to the second half of the letter, it's pulling us back down into the practical details of life and saying, listen, this has to touch your ordinary Tuesday afternoon. This has to get in the nitty gritty of, of how you relate to one another. Here's the thing. When I think back to my experience in my Southern Baptist church growing up, my father was a high functioning alcoholic. And about a decade later, he had a humiliating experience on a business trip in India where the hotel staff called home to my mother. I don't know how intoxicated you have to be, like people coming in and out, but like something happened that was so humiliating that the hotel called and said, we're concerned. And this was a moment for my dad where he had a wake-up call. And uh, I saw him a few, a few days um, a few weeks after this, and my mom had called really concerned, and um, he came back, and then he, he finally came out with everything uh, to God and to our family and to our church, and there was a different pastor there at this time, so it wasn't like, told you, Satan in liquid form, buddy. Um, but it was, a really, <laughs> it was a really humbling and beautiful, beautiful moment for our family. My dad uh, got into a, ju- a journey of recovery. He had his 30-day chip from Alcoholics Anonymous when he when he passed, he had a heart attack. Um, and 
And so I think about the tension between how silly it was for this pastor to try to make his conviction everyone's conviction. And yet he was identifying something that in, in a bunch of places in the scripture is identified as something that's a really easy substitute for God. You like, you, you want, it's like, that's what's contrasted. Be, be, be filled with the spirit or be drunk with wine, right? You, you need peace. You need courage. You need rest. You need a feeling of, oh, I love you, man. Like, you can get that from alcohol, and you can also get that from the Holy Spirit. And so he was correctly identifying a real struggle, a real substitute God that we should be, we should be aware of at least. Even if we have immense freedom, our freedom should be checked by love as we look seriously at how easily this thing can become a substitute for God. And, and yet my father missed hearing something he really needed to hear and ingesting it. This is no excuse for his choices. He made his own, he made his own, he would be the first to say he made his own choices, but he missed the heart of the conviction in all the trappings of how that conviction was expressed with contempt. So there's a, real, there's a real thing here that needs to be worked on. Like when we express our convictions in a way that, that immediately put people off because it's full of pride or full of fear or full of whatever and not full of love, sometimes people miss the real heart of why we're living a certain way. And he needed this message and he didn't get it. And that's on him But for my father, for many, right? Drinking can be a real life-threatening danger. I don't think it's Satan in liquid form, but watch out, you know? It's an issue of genuine freedom. But for some of us, it's something we need to avoid with great conviction. We need to be really convicted about it. Other people, right, need to have some restrictions because of, you know, previous habits on their internet usage. They need to have a software that restricts the sites they're allowed to, their, their computer will allow them to go to. Some people need to be really careful about the relationship they have with food, their, their identity and, and, and connected to how they eat. And, and there's been struggles that have cut deep sort of grooves in, in their soul. And they have to be really, really careful about it. It's not everyone's place. But we need to, like, first let the sort of, force field around our life be love because these convictions really mean something for, for, for these people who, who, are, who are holding them. Some, some of us have much narrower convictions about the sort of entertainment that, that we, we, should be, we should be looking at. And right, right, this is what turns people off from the church is that we, we erect these fences of morality and then we patrol them with vigor. And so we're, we're walking around the border trying to see who's in and who's out when actually the heart of the New Testament is this, live, this well of living water. You know, if you have a well of living water, you don't have to put the fence up. People will just come to the well. And instead of patrolling the borderland saying who's in and who's out, like we just need to like live our convictions with love. It's so much better. So we need a passage like Romans 14 because it, it sort of helps align the priorities of our heart in a significant way. The most important thing, the first thing, if you, if you put anything else in the place that's supposed to be the first thing, you're going to get distorted and out of balance and, 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 and weird really quickly. You're gonna get, you're gonna, it's going to be difficult for people to track with you. The most important thing is the message of, of the gospel that we have been apprehended by the love of God. That Jesus, in some mysterious but very real way, Jesus' life and death and resurrection has become our very own. That whatever Christ did on the cross means that we're fully and completely accepted into the family of God. So much so that he puts his very spirit within us. 
that God is out, out there, that God is present in this room, and that God indwells, Romans 8, right? The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is, is in our life. That's the first thing. And our unity, as Trinity Grace, Park Slope, but also as the Big C Church across the whole world, all these different denominations and people gathering all across this city today, our unity We are made family by this grace. That is our governing reality. None of us are in the kingdom of God because of our resume. None of us are in the kingdom of God because we've perfectly kept all of our our, our, smaller convictions to, to the letter. None of us are in the family of God because of great achievement. In fact, what we all began with was great need. That's really, really important to remember. So, Paul is writing to Rome. This massively influential city, the, the dominant city of the, of the empire, of the Roman Empire, that's, that's being transformed by these subversive communities of love. And the, and the mystery is that everyone, no matter where you started in life, right, S- servants and, and, and the aristocracy, uh, you know, people from every tribe and tongue and nation are welcomed around this table, <laughs> And they're sharing life with one another. They're meeting one, one another's needs. And they're, they're around this, this mysterious broken body and shed blood of this Galilean peasant who says, I have opened up the way for you to be welcomed into the kingdom of God forever. So they changed the world by getting together and, and eating <laughs> and everyone being welcomed around the table because it was a table defined by grace. So N.T. Wright gives some pretty crucial context for these instructions that show up in Romans 14. Why, why, do we, why, why this now in the letter? After everything that's, that's been covered. And, and he says this. This is really illuminating. I hope it will be helpful for you. I'm going I'm to I'm give you the full quote. He says, if we are correct in assuming that he's writing Romans not long after the Jews had returned to Rome in AD 54, we can see why this appeal would be urgently necessary. Jewish Christians seeing Gentile Christians in Rome doing things which from their point of view are associated with paganism might look on in horror. They might conclude that they had made an awful mistake, call down curses on this new movement and give up the faith altogether. If that were to happen, Paul declares, it would be an offense against nothing less than the death of the Messiah. Undoing the work he accomplished on the cross, it would be a reversal of priorities, focusing attention on food and drink and setting on, instead of on the major towering realities of God's kingdom, justice, peace, and joy. It would pull down the house which God so carefully was building up. So this Jewish population had been, had been through this racist policy, banned from the city of Rome. And they, they were coming back, and many of them had encountered the message of Messiah Jesus in their synagogue, and had, their lives had been transformed. But they were still working out, like, do I keep, keep kosher laws? Do I keep the festivals? Do I keep the, cer- the ceremonies? Right? One of the big or overriding questions that Christianity is wrestling with in the New Testament is, how Jewish do you have to be to receive Israel's Messiah as, as your own? And then to come into this metropolitan city where these Gentile believers had received the Holy Spirit, they'd received the message themselves, but their life had never been, been kosher. They had, they had always gotten meat from this particular market, and, and who cared what the meat had been used for before? And so there were these real tense moments of people saying, you cannot eat that. That was used in worship to a false god. Or, or, or you, you can't drink that, or, or this has to be prepared. We have to have this prayed over in a certain way. And there was real tension around this beautiful table of welcome, of grace. 
And I don't have to tell you, right, the church has wrestled with that type of thing <laughs> ever since, right? This is, we need to have some grace for ourselves even for that, but here's what will happen. <laughs> God will pull us out of something, and maybe that, that there were elements of the lifestyle we were living before we were apprehended by, by God's incredible grace, that we can't be around at all or it will mess with us seriously. But then we make that true for everyone. And so something that we in a healthy way need to stay away from, we, be, we began to make it true for everyone. And so this is how it's, just, it's like the, the, the sum total like in, 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 in my rural Baptist church of following Jesus was, was to avoid sex and drugs and rock and roll. And, and then like coming to, 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 to New York 15 years ago and like every great Christian that I knew was like, uh, I'm not saying they were into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it was like their priorities were entirely different. They were following Jesus in an entirely different way from how, it, 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 not an entirely different way. You get what I'm saying? You do. I mean, I messed that up, but you get it. And that's what makes you great. Right, the, the, the peripheral things that there were strong convictions about weren't, weren't the same. And there's a lot of danger on both sides. There's so much, right? To be the prodigal son or to be the older brother, both have their, their challenges. And Paul is saying, listen, don't let your convictions on non-essential issues turn into contempt. Don't let your convictions on non-essential issues turn into contempt. You've been brought into the same family to share the same table, to live together in the kingdom of God. One other thing I think is important to mention is how Paul is using strong and weak here. Um, I'll just give you the, the first five verses again. Except the one who's weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Each, each person considers one day... One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. What is he saying? Right, if you initially read this and you have a sensitive conscience about something and you have a conviction about something, you're like, oh, that makes me weak. I love vegetables. What's he, what's he saying? Paul is not saying some of you have really believed and some of you haven't. That's not how strong and weak is being, being used here. He's not saying some of you have believed the full set of beliefs that you need to believe and some of you haven't. He is saying some of you have really sensitive consciences on certain matters. There, there are good and understandable reasons why, why you have these sensitivities and you should be, he says, you should be careful about violating your conscience. It's not safe or right to violate your conscience. You should pay attention to that. But, that is not the gospel. When he's using strong and weak here, he's saying, if, you if you're still like, don't violate your conscience, but if you're still imagining that there's some outward smaller conviction, like you need, in order for your life to be accepted, you need what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and then you need these three other things. Whatever the and that you add to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you can leave that behind as an essential. That's not the gospel. He's saying it's, it's weak in the faith if, if you're imagining that you have to add something to what Christ has done for you to be accepted into the family. On the cross, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. The full requirement has been met for us to be welcomed and adopted as sons and daughters of God forever. 
He didn't say, it's almost done. I just need a little bit from you guys. That, would be, that wouldn't have, sort of wouldn't have been missing some punch there on the cross if he said it that way. But it's also deeply theologically true. So, for, for, for these first century followers of Jesus in, in, in Rome, if you grew up eating kosher and your conscience is really sensitive about it, you, you might need to continue going on eating kosher and that's perfectly fine. And you need to keep that with humility, but no, that's not the gospel. If you can't forget that this meat was offered in a, as a sacrifice in a pagan temple, you shouldn't eat it. But that's not the gospel. That's not the primary essential. If you keep Sabbath on Friday because you work on Sunday, that's me, guys. Um, then let that be a humble and prayer-filled conviction for you, but that's not the gospel either. Right? When we try to move something from the fringe into the center, we, we lopside the world. We lopside the message. Right? Let's bring it a little closer to home. Right? If you used to use yoga as a spiritual practice and you can't separate the poses in, in your mind from, from, from the worship of certain deities, then you might need to find a different way to stretch. And there's, fantastic, there's praise moves you could do. I'm not going to get into all the options that are open for you, but they're out there. If you, if you need to have a seltzer at a cocktail party because you've been using alcohol for so much of your life to get peace and courage and rest, and if you have one old-fashioned, you're probably going to have nine, that's, you need to walk in that conviction. You need to live that, live that out, and we need to be, have a force field of grace around one another because we all remember, why are we part of this family? Grace, mercy. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that's where it begins and ends. He is the author and the finisher. And because of our unique DNA, because of our stories, because of wounds that have been inflicted on us, because things that have been previously idols in our life, because of yeah, addictions, all, all manner of things, there's, there's ways that we need to specifically walk as followers of Jesus, and it's going to look different. And you know what? We're still going to come to the table every week. And we're going to be wildly different. And yet we're going to look at each other in the eyes and say, family. That's the message of the gospel. Peace with God and peace with one another. I had some other ones here, some examples about being vegan. I'm going to leave these. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus is our, is our welcome. We don't need to add anything to it to keep ourselves in, God, in God's grace. Here's the key verse of the passage. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, let's put this on our, on our mirrors, write it with the soap, and just like remember this every day. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't read the scriptures. I mean, the first story of things going really wrong in Genesis has to do with eating, right? They eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat. So there are, there are times where particular steps, God never says, right? And so from here and from henceforth, eating fruit shall be banned. Of course not, right? It's, it's a, a matter of relationship. The kingdom of God is a relational kingdom, it is about being in relationship with God and relationship with one another. And so there are certainly still in the world and in our convictions and in peripheral matters, eating and drinking are really important, right? God had a lot to say about his, his people, how they ate and drank. And yet, 
The essentials of the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? It means like the way the last, last week's passage ends, clothe yourselves in Jesus. That because of the message of the gospel, whatever ticker tape of insecurity plays in your mind about why you're not worthy or you're not going to be, you're never going to be enough or you're not, you're, you're slow to change or whatever it is. Like if you're clothed in who Jesus is, you have his righteousness, his very character is counting for your own. Then God, the father sees you with as much delight as he sees his firstborn son. And he says, you're in my family. You're so welcome. You're covered by my righteousness. Now that means something. That means righteousness. That means peace, peace with God able to run like a child into the throne room of heaven and say, you have no idea what's going on in my life right now. He's like, I probably do, but let's talk about it. And ask anything you want of God the Father, knowing that he hears you. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but present your requests. Run into me like a father. Uh, Run into me like a, a, a child that I delight in and put it all out in front of me. There's peace between us. There's nothing that would keep us at a distance. You can call me Abba. Full embrace, we have his righteousness, that means peace with God. And then we take that peace and we give it to one another in shalom and our human relationships because it's a relational kingdom. And the peace that we get in relationship with God, we bend that towards one another. And we say, you are in because of grace. I heard when we were um, about to plant our church uh, from this pastor out in uh, California um, that had, had uh, led this really huge church and it had grown a ton. And um, I heard he said to, to a church planter, if you help people, your church will grow. It's like, cool. If you help people, your church will grow. And like, this is one of the things I think about, like my dad took me to one of his meetings and you get around the recovery community and you know what? They're just like uh, uh, obsessively welcoming. And like all the fringe issues that, that they're like, whatever you are all about, we don't care at all. You're so welcome here and here's my number. And like, just like totally embracing because the main thing they're there for is to get help. And they're all just like, we're a huge mess. Come on in. And right, the church needs to learn something from that, right? When we, when we, when we like, sort of like dress ourselves up in our non-essential convictions and make it difficult for someone to come into the heart of this place as opposed to be like, you have no idea what a huge mess I was. Like, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Here's my number. Like, call me today. We're like, listen, if you go to the website and you're, you're good enough to find it, you might be able to find a small group and some of them aren't even full and then you could go. <laughs> Sorry, a little close to home there. Um, but like, what if we, what if we learn like the, the most essential thing about us is this extravagant love that has embraced us and set us free and totally changed us. We're full of a different spirit than we were before. And so the thing we want most is for people to encounter that love and all the rest of the stuff, we'll get to it. But the first thing is, here's my number and come on in. The kingdom of God is righteousness. We're covered with him. It gives us peace with God and peace with one another. You know what that brings? Joy. Joy. 
So one of the things that shocks me in the New Testament is Jesus saying things like, I'm telling you this so your joy will be complete. My picture of the Christian life was so restricted and moralistic <laughs> that wasn't any joy. There was like gritted teeth, white knuckles, get to heaven someday, and there's, I think there's a reward there, they've said. But not like, oh my gosh, I'm full of the character of God by grace. Like I'm given something and then like I'm fully adopted into the family. And it's like, come on in. And I've got to learn to be at home here. I'm learning to be at home in this new family. I got peace with God and peace with one another. And it's bringing joy. It really is the most abundant life. Jesus staked his integrity on this. Come to me and I will give you life and give it to you to the full abundant life. The way of the world is to kill, steal, and destroy, and to, 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 to narrow down. I want to lead you into wide spaces of joy. Kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Two ways that I, I, I want to invite you to keep this reality in your heart. The first is the people are the party. The people are the party. This is a relational kingdom. This is something I have to say to myself, right? I'm, I'm an enthusiast. I like, I love food and drink and all this stuff like, uh, uh, and, and to remember the, the primary thing in any place is the people that are there. It's not my appetites or my agenda or, 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 or my story or the way I distinguish myself. The most important thing and anything is the people, C.S. Lewis, maybe one of the very best things he wrote, I, I love Narnia as well, but is, a, is an essay called The Weight of Glory. And he's talking about like what we set the weight of our soul on. Is it a, like what's able to sustain that type of expectation and hope from a human being? But he's also talking about the weight of glory of our neighbor. And, and this is C.S. Lewis's way of saying the people are the party. Uh, he says it you know, actually way better than that. So I'm just going to read it. It may be possible for each to think too much about his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. In light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the it is with awe and, circums and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendship, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But in it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. The people are the party. The second way that I hold this in my mind, I invite you to, is, is for my freedom to be checked by love. Something I have to repeat to myself a lot is love over indulgence. Like, I'm not gonna check myself by fear. I'm not gonna check myself by pride. I'm not gonna check myself by contempt for other people. I wanna check myself. I want the force field around my life to be one that is love. My freedom is checked by love. So, so a measurement of that is watch out if you begin to have convictions that are full of contempt. 
even if they're right, true, good convictions, watch out for them if they begin to be full of contempt and they make you want to criticize and isolate from other people and be around people who think like you do only. Watch out. You're in a dangerous place if your convictions begin to be full of contempt. And then watch out if you begin to despise someone else for their convictions. Two, two measurements. Is my freedom being checked by love? Because the vision of the kingdom of God is, is, is what's so crucial. It is a rich welcome for all types of people. Every tribe and tongue and nation. Right? We, we are doing the work of diversity and unity together as an outpost of the kingdom of God. We have this beautiful diverse city where we get to practice, but what we should be we should be ashamed, right, if, if, if Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week. We should be coming together and all of our differences around this table because we've received a rich welcome ourselves. We've got some growing to do. We are all invited to the table. And guess what? When you get there, you're going to have to flex a little bit because not everyone's going to be like you. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It does say at the end there, each of us will give an account of our lives to God. And that's one of those intimidating sections like, what? How will that work? Is there going to be a video? (laughs) Um, But I'm so glad that God is the judge and so I don't have to be and you don't have to be. That ultimately the one who's going to be judging is the one who has loved us from everlasting to everlasting. The one who's willing to go to the cross on our behalf and literally take the full weight of our failures and mistakes as as humanity and personally on himself. That's the one doing the judging. Way more equipped to add nuance to that process than we are. We give ourselves all the freedom in the world to understand our motivations, our rationalizations. You don't understand why I had to make this choice this way, da, 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 da. And then we're just like, we blink everybody else. We don't let them be full, robust people. They just do things because they're dumb or they don't get it. But God will know the full picture, all the nuance, all the neural pathways that were working when a decision was made. I'm glad that God is the one for whom we will give an account. So we can just throw off the burden of having to make sure everyone else is doing it right. And we can walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray in just a moment for you. And then I want you to um, consider where in your life and your heart are you finding contempt? Where are the places that maybe you need to choose love over indulgence? And maybe some of you, you know there's some unique issue of your conscience that won't be true for everyone, but God's calling you to something. He's calling you to set something in a different category than it has been in before. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're super weak or, or other people are strong. It just means in this way, in your story, with your DNA and the things that you've experienced, this needs to be set aside for now. And it's for freedom. It's for joy. It's for life. It's not so that you'll be bored or constricted Where do you find contempt? Where do you need to choose love over indulgence? And some of you, you may have a particular issue of conscience that you need to commit to God, to live from faith, to say, I actually trust God can meet my needs better than anyone, better than even me. Heavenly Father, I say before you and before these people that I'm astounded at the privilege of being able to 
talk about your word, talk about your truth, when I know deep in my heart I am so in need of it myself. And so, God, we all of us humble ourselves before you. Say we are those who need your mercy every day, and your mercy is new every day. And so we, we, we run to you, God. We bring our joy, we bring our brokenness, we run to you, we bring all of it. May we experience, by the power of your spirit, the peace that exists between us and between one another because of what Christ has done. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in these next moments that each person would know in the secret place of their mind and heart what you're calling them to do in response to what we've heard. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be those who, who rise up and respond with courage, with faith. We are here for you, God. Lead us now in these moments. In Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna give you a few moments of silence just to reflect, to pray maybe in the secretness of your heart. God, what are you leading me towards? And then in just a few minutes, we'll come to the communion table. We'll continue worshiping. Ask God how he would have you respond.